Welcome to the House of Mourning. Hey there, I'm your host, Joelle Coteau Willard, and this podcast is a space where my guests and I explore the raw, unfiltered truths and inner knowings we tap into in grief and in life after loss and trauma. We reject societal norms that condition us into bypassing and fast forwarding through the work of healing. My personal desire to normalize grief is the result of my own healing journey, having lost my father at the age of 33, and most recently the death of my second son late term in pregnancy. For those of you that find yourself in grief, recalibrating after loss or healing from trauma, I honor you. Perhaps you are here because you are navigating supporting a loved one who is grieving or on a healing journey. If so, way to show up for yourself and them. Wherever you are on the journey, all of you is welcome here. Welcome back to the House of Mourning. I'm so excited for today's episode. We have an incredible human on today. We get to speak to Jason Dykstra, who is a father to four kiddos, three living children, and one angel kiddo. And he is an international speaker, trainer, and coach specializing in the areas of grief, conflict, and communication. He is a certified pregnancy and infant loss grief coach, certified mediator, and holds a master's in leadership from Royal Roads University. He's also a blogger, podcaster, and course creator. You can join his group of followers named The Flock, where he invites us in by creating space for folks to learn how to celebrate and mourn with one another. Life is beautiful. Life is brutal. We are in this together. The most recent title to add to his life's achievements is that he is an author of the book called Welcome to the Shit Club, a male's perspective on stillbirth, grief, and loss. Jason lives with his family in the Muskokas in Ontario, Canada, where he's joining us from today. Welcome, Jason. Thank you very much, Joelle. It is great to be here with you today. (laughs) Yes, yes. You know, I forgot to mention that we met not so long ago, working Mm -hmm. together at a gig that you uh, were working at up until very recently Mm -hmm. through the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. So we -hmm. were colleagues and, oh, what a joy it is to know you. Jason. So <laughs> likewise, likewise. I think the yeah. pleasure is all mine. <laughs> oh, well, tell us about your darling Ezra. Yeah. So uh, back in 2016, uh, we were expecting our third child. Um, and um, we had two living children already. Uh, and um, this pregnancy was I mean, 
it was basically like all the other ones, you know, uh, everything was going well. My wife was feeling well, healthy, all of that. Um, and, um, as per the other two children, uh, apparently she has a really comfortable womb and, uh, you know, these babies did not want to leave the womb at all. And so they needed some gentle coaxing, uh, out. Uh, and so we were scheduled for inductions and so on and so forth with the first two. Uh, and so with this one being a little bit late, um, we weren't too concerned about that because that was kind of par for the course. Um, then on August the 12th of 2016, uh, I went to work that day. Uh, work that day was a leadership conference uh, close by my house uh, and was just an attendant uh, that day, thankfully. And um, I got a text from my wife saying, hey, you know, it's, it's time to come home. Uh, I think this is this is it. I'm in labor. Uh, and so I swooped in like some sort of superhero and, you know, gathered the other two kids, dropped them off at the at my in-laws and, and came back. And when I came back, we found out that um, all the hospitals, they didn't really have any room. Uh, the, the hospital that we were planning on going to didn't have any room for us. Uh, and if we wanted to keep midwife care, um, that we would have to either do a home birth or, or something or switch care and go to a different hospital. Uh, and so my wife uh, said, you know, let's do this home birth thing. Uh, and I said, okay, you know, you're, you're in the driver's seat here. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we went and grabbed a couple of things and all of that. And the midwives uh, came and they took out their ultrasound machine and, um, you know, had my wife lay down on the couch, waved the magic wand uh, over her stomach and couldn't find a heartbeat. Um, a few minutes later, the next fall. Uh, midwife showed up with a better ultrasound machine. She was like, you know, this one's a little faulty anyway, so like, don't read anything into this. You know, another one's coming. And uh, anyways, that one uh, as well, you know, they couldn't find a heartbeat. Uh, and so we rushed to the hospital and uh, magically, you know, a room had opened up for us just as we were on our way uh, to the hospital. So they quickly booked us in it. Uh, and within about 10 minutes of us getting to the hospital, uh, our baby boy Ezra uh, was born uh, and was born without breath. Uh, and so that moment where you are expecting to hear your baby's cries uh, and sobs and wailing, um, the only thing that we could really hear was our own. Wow. And so that's Ezra <laughs> for the start, I guess, of Ezra. <laughs> yeah. So Ezra was... Was he full term in the pregnancy then or like overdue even? Yeah, he was a few days overdue. Um, and uh, and so we had gone full term. My wife had actually had an ultrasound the, the day before on August the 11th, um, had an ultrasound. Everything looked great, healthy. You know, baby was doing fine. My wife was doing fine. Um, all signs pointed to everything being wonderful and, and great. Um, and it was such a shock uh, for both of us um, that this, yeah, this happened. It wasn't even on our radar, Joelle. It wasn't even on our radar, stillbirth or miscarriage or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, whose radar is it on, right? Like we're conditioned in society to, you know, shame people for telling people you know, it's like, there's this, oh, you know, you know, after 12 weeks, then you're in the clear. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, oh, if anyone experiences a loss before 12 weeks, it's like, 
well, why did you tell anyone about that? Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a different conversation, but of course you would never imagine that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. And especially if there was no indication or no indicators. And I think that's what I hear a lot about in the, in the loss pregnancy and infant loss community. And like with other lost parents who've experienced stillbirth, which uh, I have not experienced. However, um, you know, there seems to be a lot of movement out there around stillbirth prevention. And, you know, for me, it's like, if someone were to talk about what I went through in prevention, it's like, of course, I want to see how to prevent things. But I'm also kind of like, there's nothing I could have done differently. Yeah. Or like, you know, so I think with stillbirth, there's different categories and nuances as there is with everything. Do you know about that movement towards towards that? I don't. A little bit about it. Uh, there's like Count the Kicks and uh, organizations like that. Um, a mutual uh, friend of ours, uh, Melissa Foley, is a part of a group that is also petitioning the government uh, around, uh, you know, certain uh, preventative measures that can be taken place uh, as well. And so, you know, there's a couple of different movements like that uh, that do exist. Uh, and I mean, when you look at miscarriage, for example, you know, one out of three, one out of four pregnancies will end in miscarriage, stillbirth. I think the stat here in Canada is one in 1,000 um, uh, births will will uh, end up in stillbirth. Uh, and there's a lot of different reasons for it as well, right? And that's that's part of the difficulty, I think, sometimes that's that some of them are preventable, um, that, you know, we could get in there, C-section, you know, things along those lines. Um, and others, you know, like, there is no indication um, and there is no even um, known reason for why this has happened. You know, yeah. for, for Ezra, like we, um, one of the big determining factors for us having another kid um, was, you know, is this a genetic thing or is it not? Um, and so we had to undergo like some testing and some, you know, waiting and questions and all that kind of stuff with doctors um, just to kind of find out, you know, is statistically, are we, you know, at risk of, of this happening again, if we do, you know, try for another kid, um, which, yeah, I mean, is, is difficult. And so for in our case, we didn't know what the reason for it all was. We didn't know what happened. There's a few guesses and theories uh, around what happened, but, you know, nothing that we could ever say with a hundred percent certainty, you know, this is, this is what happened. Yeah. And I think what there's no escaping is that this kind of, you know, the way this kind of situation and the way that you all lost Ezra happens. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's like, how, how can you, you know, it's like adjusting to this, the worst news possible on the planet and the most, basically every parent's nightmare. How do you adjust to living that? Yeah. Well, and that, that was one of the things that stick clearly out in my mind is, um, you know, you make all these phone calls to people after you give birth, after you have a baby and you could hear the person on the other side, like so excited, Jason, you know, Hey, 
you know, you're calling me uh, is that good news. Like boy, girl, like, did we, did I get it right? Did you get it right? Like, you know, you can hear that excitement in their voice. And when you pick up the phone and you have to tell them, yes, we had a baby and no, our baby's not alive. It's like, you're, you're taking a knife to a, to, <laughs> to a, and float uh, to, to, to air mattress or something along those lines, right? Where you're just literally just slashing that air mattress and you can just feel the gust of wind just kind of blowing out. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, when you're telling it to other people, right? It's like, and what is your experience in that, right? Because I know for myself and a lot of my clients and from like I was going through being as the birthing person going through the loss in my body mm -hmm. and then the trauma of like birthing my son and and meeting him dead right mm -hmm. um there was a lot that I couldn't handle and I was just like at capacity and mm -hmm. there were a lot of things that I gave to my husband right and like that it's like okay he doesn't have the physical trauma aspect of it but mm -hmm. he's still lost his his son and you know what i mean like it's like we're in it together and now he has to call people and he has to do the mm -hmm. things that i can't um and i'm curious like how that was for you mhm mm yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a different, um, grief, like it's a different perspective. It's a different lived experience, right. In that way, uh, you know, a birthing person compared to a non-birthing person. Um, and I think for a lot of people, I'll, I'll speak for a, a lot of the clients that I talk to, um, that are non-birthing partners um typically say well you know like i wasn't the one who gave birth so like i shouldn't actually be um as sad about this or as connected to the baby or anything along those lines right uh and i have to sometimes remind people that your grief is real as well right uh same for me like in those moments yeah it looked very different from my wife and still does you know she has her own journey her own perspective uh with it uh, and like you said, you know, Joel, I lost a son as well. Uh, and it was different because, you know, on the phone that day and, and for weeks prior and months prior, you know, everyone that would come drop off meals or flowers or whatever the case was, um, you know, you end up stepping into that PR role, right? That public relations role where people come and they say, so how's your wife? How's your kids? And so you go into this monologue, essentially, this rehearsed monologue that you've perfected over, you know, the seemingly hundreds of times that you have to tell people, uh, you know, my wife's doing fine and she's doing as expected. Kids are doing all right. They're kind of, you know, pulling us through this whole thing and, um, you know, allowing us to kind of focus on them and so on and so forth. And, uh, and then they say, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's really difficult. I'm so glad they have you. And then they walk away. And you're left sitting there, like raising your hand, like, hello, like, what about me? <laughs> you don't, no one give a shit about <laughs> what's, what's happening with me at all. Like I'm <laughs> here too. Right. Uh, and I just remember that with uh, one friend in specifically, 
who came up and she was like, so how's Gina? How's the kids? Uh, and, you know, went into the monologue and all that. And we're talking and probably, I don't know, 20 minutes in the conversation. She's like, oh my goodness, Jason, I haven't even asked you how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And it almost took my breath away because nobody had asked me. <laughs> right. Other than like really, really close family uh, or really, really close friends. But no one had really asked me at all. And so, yeah, it's very different um, that way because you are, um, for me at least, and I'll just speak from my perspective, uh, everyone's journey is different uh, with this. Um, But for me, it felt like um, there are certain things that just need to get done. uh, And there are certain things that my wife didn't have the capacity to do um, just because of her own experience with that. Uh, And so um, they had to get done. And it's this 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 team that is going forward. And at the end of the day, you know, these certain things that need to get done, these tasks that need to be completed, you know, whether that's funeral planning, whether that's cleaning the house, getting food ready for the kids or whatever the case, um, picking up things, mowing the grass. I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, um, you know, the countless amount of things that it takes to run a household, it needs to be done. And so someone's got to do them. And if no one else is around, then, you know, someone's got to pick up those pieces there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing Ezra's story with us and for sharing about such an important and much needed perspective to hear, because I'm definitely aware of, you know, I... I am in a partnership, right? I'm married. And what I became so aware of, which I, 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 like you, I've like, I didn't think about these things before. I was living in a bubble before. I used to think, not Mm -hmm. consciously, it wasn't conscious thought, but it was definitely in my consciousness. This, I was living as if, like, I'm untouchable by this kind of stuff. Like it just was like, I'm aware of it. It happens to people. And then the blank fill in the blank that somehow I was reassuring myself was like, it won't happen to me. Like, it's just not a me thing. It's like a other people thing. And then when I did experience losing our uh, child, which was my second pregnancy. So we have one living child Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, my God, this is so suppressed. This is so hidden. This is so diminished, you know, comparatively, when you look at what are the odds, what are the ratios and stats like you were sharing earlier Mm -hmm. of pregnancy and infant loss versus how much do we hear about it? Does there's no correlation. But then the second layer that I realized was in of the little bit of information and community out there it's only really you know primarily speaking to the woman right so that was a whole other thing of like oh my god well what about my husband what about other people's partners or you know non-birthing partners or carriers you know like it's just Mm -hmm. even more diminished and Mm -hmm. so in your work with male males and male identifying people, like what has been your, what, what, you know, what do you, why do you think that is? And like, what are, what are your clients telling themselves? Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, I think there's a couple things around that. And like similar to you, you know, when we lost Ezra, I went down this Google black hole <laughs> looking for resources and things like that available. And even for birthing people, um, you know, there wasn't even much resources there, like you're saying, especially at the time. And I mean, 2016, that's seven years ago already, right? Um, and, that, you know, there really did not, <laughs> there wasn't much that actually existed. And then when you looked at specific, um, like male identified resources or anything along those lines, non-birthing uh, resources, um, there was virtually nothing. I think there was one, I could find one book or like one thing available um, for guys specifically uh, in my case. Uh, and that's actually one of the things that led me to start writing uh, about my journey and my process of like, I, I don't want others to go through this um, as blindly as I muddled my way through it. Uh, and if we're able to support people, you know, with resources, with whether that's words on a page, whether that's with podcasts like this, or, you know, the Pregnancy and Infant Law Center, or the Coping Center in Ontario, or, you know, whatever those resources are for folks that can actually dive into what's going on for them a little bit more, the better off I think everyone is that way. And I think for males specifically, I think uh, one of the reasons that there's not much that exists is we're going through a massive change in how we define masculinity right now. Uh, and I think the prevailing way was often, you know, shove that shit down <laughs> uh, and pretend like it doesn't bother you or make a difference or anything along those lines. Um, and I mean, that's one of the reasons that, A, I started doing um, pregnancy and infant loss coaching. I'm actually one of the first male identified pregnancy and infant loss coaches in North America, uh, which I mean, that in and of itself, I think says a lot that, <laughs> A, that this is a resource or a system that needs changing. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, there are a few more uh guys that I know that are going through, you know, similar programs and becoming certified pregnancy and infant loss coach. And I think that's amazing um, because the more resources that we have for folks, the better off everyone is, I think. Um, but I mean, honestly, I think at the end of the day, Joel, I think uh, one of, and this isn't just male specific, um, growing up, I think my family's motto could have been summarized as we keep going, we don't stop. <laughs> would have been like this thing that we put up above the door and, you know, <laughs> you know, that we kind of bow to every single time we go in and out or, <laughs> or what have you. Right. Uh, and I write about this in my, in my uh, book in the shit club as well, about this idea of keep going, don't stop. Um, and use a couple of different examples uh, in the book about it. Um, but one of the big examples is after we, you know, after we had Ezra, we got pregnant again fairly soon after. And almost a year later, um, um, we were expecting our fourth child, um, Nora, uh, and who uh, we had uh, a live birth with with uh, with Nora, and uh, and I remember in July she was born in August, and Ezra was born in August, uh, and I remember end of June, July, I had been like working my ass off for you know however many months, eight nine eight nine months, uh, back at work I was dealing with 
this really difficult client specifically and and finally went on vacation and i had had this like keep going don't stop like tattooed on my face uh and i went on vacation uh and literally the first day on vacation we went up to the cottage i sat down i opened a beer and i swear hives broke out all over my back and it was like the most painful thing and my wife was like, you need to get this checked out. I was like, it's fine. It's just an allergic reaction. I'm sure we'll just take some Benadryl. It'll be good. <laughs> you know how we do it, Joel. You know. <laughs> Sounds uh, familiar. <laughs> and so when we got back home from, so I just took Benadryl that week and all that kind of stuff. And when we got back, my wife made me go to the doctor and the doctor was like, yeah, dude, you had shingles. <laughs> like that shit is painful. Uh, and I realized at that time that this mantra of keep going, don't stop was getting pretty damn close to killing me. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that mantra. You know, we keep going, we don't stop. It promotes hard work. It promotes, you know, just, I don't know, just this, like, I think there's a lot of good behind the mantra and behind some of the reasoning behind it and it's also incredibly harmful um and i think for a lot of us uh and again not just male specific but i know a lot of uh women and others that uh, you know identify with this idea of keep going don't stop as well um and in fact, I'd be interested to hear from you as well, Joel. I know a lot of my my clients, uh, past, present, and I'm sure future ones are like, I just got to stay busy. I just got to stay distracted. I just got to like not think about this thing. And the only way, while well, someone once told me, the only way to heal is to feel. And if we don't stop, if we don't sit in the shit, you know, we don't get over that pain like we can't get over the pain we can't go under the pain we can't go around the pain the only way to deal with the pain is to go through it yeah yeah that that was you know that's definitely a foundational perspective for me in my life around you know the only way out is through mm. and my grief is very there's a lot of contrast in my grief experiences because when my dad died, which was very sudden, he was 67 and I was 33 at the time. And he died within the span of like 21 days hmm. that we knew what, like we knew what was wrong. And then he died. He had surgery. Mm -hmm. He had a brain tumor. He had emergency brain surgery and he never left the ICU after surgery. Mm -hmm. And with that grief, I definitely um, was like, I had my wedding coming up in six months. We were going to try, start trying for our first child, you know, all these things. We had all these plans mm -hmm. and I, I, I didn't allow myself. Like I just fell into this category of like grieving, like a good griever, mm -hmm. you know, good quote unquote means you're not grieving. You're yeah. doing a good job means you're like not feeling it probably, so, you know, suppressing it, mm -hmm. um, not to slowing down, not being mindful of anything. Right. 
Mm-hmm. My adrenals were shot. Um, but anyhow, like, so I definitely see, I didn't create, I didn't create any space. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and then when Julian died, which was, you know, my dad died now, like it was 2019, January, 2019. So whatever that is, right. Like four years ago, coming on five. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when Julian died that like, I, I was coming from, uh, being a very successful entrepreneur and running, you know, business owner and, you know, all these things mm-hmm. to, I, that was my rebellion, Jason. Hmm. Like, and it wasn't a rebellion. It's like, I didn't have a choice. Like it wasn't conscious. Then the choice was Mm -hmm. I'm out. Mm -hmm. Like all I can do is be 100% done Mm -hmm. with every aspect of my life, except for my husband and my living son. Yeah. I'll keep those ones around. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's like. I'm a, I'm a wife and I'm a mother to my mm-hmm. son Axel and my second mm-hmm. son just died and everything else faded to black. Yeah. And that's one of the amazing things about grief, isn't it? Like it just causes you to, I mean, first there's so many other losses, secondary losses that come out of that, whether that's friendships, whether that's uh, sometimes religion, whether that is, you know, different uh, activities or meaning or purpose or all of that kind of thing. But one of the things that I find with grief, like you're saying, is that it just caused me to reevaluate my life. Um, you know, what is a value to me? What is a what do I have on paper that is saying, you know, this is what I say my priorities are, my values are, and this is how I'm living my life. And these two aren't, they aren't in balance with one another, right? Like I'm saying that family is the most important thing, like you're saying, and I'm working 80 hours a week. How does that work? Right? Like where I'm spending my time often will show what I'm actually valuing uh, as well. Uh, and so I have the very same thing. Uh, that you're talking about of like, Hey, I'm just going to reevaluate my entire life, Mm -hmm. Uh, which takes some time. (laughs) Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I took a bereavement leave of eight months. Mm -hmm. I had the Liberty to do so. Mm -hmm. I had the graciousness supported to me by my company. And at the same time I resigned after that. Like Mm -hmm. I, like I was evaluating, I was re yeah. And you know what? I was told that too, is like when a child dies, it sometimes makes you, or, or I guess any, an, an, any, sh- you know, life shaking loss, mm-hmm. it does. It forces you to reevaluate your relationship with mm-hmm. your work, your mm-hmm. relationship with, you know, so many facets of, of life. And Um, for me, I just literally like the only thing that I can say is that that part of me, that version of me Mm -hmm. in the majority of the facets of that version of me, of who I was before Julian died, Mm -hmm. died with him. Yeah. And just immediately disappeared. Yeah. Poof. Inexplainable, like unexplainable, like to the point of like. That I'm going to go, go do a master's in psychology now because I'm just like, how does this right. even happen? You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's this pre-Julian life and then there's this mm-hmm. post, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, you're right. It's like a switch that's basically turned, right? And 
we and that's where I think some of those choices come, right? Like we do have like there's there's zero control that we have over that, right? And something that you were saying earlier was, you know, um, I love to have this control, right? Like not I'm untouchable, you know, all of that. And I was the same way, right? And that's a lot where this whole like keep going, don't stop kind of originated from. Um, is you know, if I keep going, I am in control. And isn't it wonderful to have all these clients and these, you know, these people that are seeking after my advice, I have this busy calendar. And, you know, you want to your friend, you want to go for coffee or a drink or something like that? Yeah, it's probably going to be a couple months, but we can probably squeeze you in somewhere. Right. And you know what I mean? Like you're you're in control and you just feel like that becomes almost like love. You know what I mean? Oh my God, I do. Like, I would have friends say to me, like, you're not available till October. Like, what's going on? And yeah, it's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually not, you know? And, and yeah. that was, that was then. And I think you really brought up something in my, in my work before even, like, this is what we were supporting training people in and having them reevaluate their relationship with their work around. Mm -hmm. Don't say family is your priority mm -hmm. unless that's reflected in your calendar, mm -hmm. right? Like show me your calendar and I'll tell you what your priorities are, Yeah, you know, and it might yeah. suck and you might not want to hear it, but like, let's, let's just, you know, what's the pudding, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah. You know, and that's, and that's just, that's just night and day now. Like it's, it's how I want to work even in the future, you know, it's mm -hmm. just shifted all of that. But, um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, what was the hardest part for you, Jason, in your grief journey? Yeah, I think the hardest part was all of these, these secondary losses, right? Um, and in some ways, secondary gains. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm someone that dealt with anxiety before uh, all of this kind of went down. Uh, and I'm someone that really deals with it now. <laughs> um, and that, you know, when, when you deal with anxiety, um, you're so, you, it, you pretty much have a PhD in catastrophizing, <laughs> right? Like you're like, I, you want to hear what the worst case scenario is? Just let me reel it off the top of my head. No problem, right? And when my wife was pregnant with Ezra, it wasn't even on my worst case scenario. And so I think that, that is one of the things that just messed me up quite a bit was I wasn't even like, this wasn't even on my radar of like worst possible scenarios. And if I couldn't even, as someone who already deals with anxiety, if I can't even, you know, imagine the worst case scenario and something worse than the worst case scenario happens, what else was I wrong about? <laughs> right? I mean, I remember, you know, uh, it was probably almost a year later and uh, my daughter, uh, she got hurt. Uh, we were at a friend's house and she just let out this like blood curdling scream and i like raced up there like i've never raced in my entire life and just started like grilling little kids <laughs> which is completely like uncalled for with the situation she had like a bloody nose because <laughs> she like walked into a door because she's her father's child <laughs> right and i was However, like oh, yeah <laughs> right 
anxiety just boom, just like zero to a hundred, just like that. Yeah, like that that's to me is you know, for for the loss parents who have living children mm-hmm. and the lost parents who who you know maybe they don't have living children yet or they are finding themselves in in you know being childless not mm-hmm. by choice everything hits different right yeah. your partner gets sick you all of a sudden it's like it's almost like um becoming a bit of a hypochondriac Mm-hmm. Not necessarily to that point, and I don't necessarily relate to that, but mm-hmm. it's like worrying about just a, such a heightened level of alarm and anxiety yeah. in the body, whereas yeah. before, if Axel would have had a fever or if Cal, he gets pneumonia, he has some asthma stuff, you know, like it's like it hits so different and it hits so much harder now. Mm-hmm. Since mm-hmm. I've we've actually experienced like no like our child died like yeah yeah you know what I mean well and I think that's like so that mixed with you know this whole pandemic thing that we lived through um, which I think on a good day even people that haven't experienced loss um, um, a lot of people are coming out of that fairly anxious if you are someone um that has experienced loss um especially if it was before or during uh you know you lost a lot of community uh with covid you um also didn't see that coming either <laughs> right like when it first happened i was like oh the kids will be out for a couple of weeks and then they'll get going again and 2 years later they went back to school right um you know they all of these and i think that's that's one of the, been one of the difficult things for me coming back into you know, creating this kind of new normal post Ezra, post pandemic, post, you know, all of these things is um, around mining some of the learnings uh, and realizing what I have control over and what I don't have control over. And how do we surrender some of those things, um, let go of some of those things that we don't have any control over? Yeah. Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah and it's that is life work yeah that is a bigger yeah. life work right and yeah. i'm curious how you have been able to make sense of ezra dying hmm. it's been interesting joelle because i get and i'm sure you get this as well i get a lot of people that will say to me like it's amazing that you've turned you know Ezra's um death into something so amazing and like you're so strong for that and like you know it you know yes that was terrible and look at all the things that you've created now because of that right and i kind of just want to um throw punch people <laughs> when they say shit like that <laughs> you say it so nicely jason your voice is so calming when you tell me that you want to throat punch those i'm like can we just like are we snapping like what are we doing like zoom yeah. clapping like yeah slow clapping i don't know man <laughs> tell me more tell me more 
<laughs> well, and I mean, I talk about this at the end of uh, of my book as well, uh, just around like this idea of, oh, you're so strong. It's like, no, no, I'm not. Like there are times, and I was never suicidal throughout, so I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Um, but there was times where I'd be driving down the highway and think it wouldn't be the worst case if my car went off the road or someone hit me head on or anything like that. You know, I might not prevent it. Right. Um, and I think in those moments, you have two choices. Um, one is to keep going. And one is to give it all up. And so I don't think that I'm stronger than anybody that way. I, I'm not smart enough for that. <laughs> I just kept going. Um, cause I didn't know that there wasn't, I don't think there was another option. And I still don't know if there is another option. You either keep going or you don't right in that sense. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I, you know, for, for that, I'm not stronger than anyone. If, if other people were in the situation and I pray to God that no one else is, um, you know, you're just as strong, if not stronger, um, and secondly, you know, if I could go back and, and change all of this again, would I probably like if I, you know, didn't have the opportunity to get up on stages of hundreds of people and tell my story about my living and not living children, um, would I give that up? A hundred percent. If I was never able to write another word in my entire life and couldn't put out any books or anything along those lines or blogs or whatever, give it up in a heartbeat. Right. Um, and yeah, it, I don't know. It becomes so difficult because you want all of the things that you have in the present, but also all of the things in the past that you may have lost. Uh, and it becomes this, um, it's not an either or choice. I think often it's a both hand, um, and that we get to have, you know, a bit of both of, of all of that. My, my Opa, he's, uh, he's, he's getting up there in age. And, uh, <laughs> we actually just, uh, we had him over, uh, just, what was it last week? Uh, we had a couple different cakes and every single time, you know, we have birthday celebrations or different things like that. We always have a couple of different cakes or pies or anything like that. And we always say, so Opa, do you want, you know, do you want the apple? Do you want the rhubarb? Do you want the cherry? Like what, what do you want? And he's always like, calls bullshit on that either or question and he always like i'll have a little bit of each please <laughs> and i was just thrown back like thrown aback the other day when he said it again for like the 500th time <laughs> of a little bit of each please uh of like it really is um it's not an either or Often, you know, we are, get asked an either or question or said something that's either or like, you know, oh, if you know, it wasn't for Ezra, you wouldn't have this or, you know, all of these different things. Uh, and I just think bullshit like it's 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 both and right. Like it's um, both of these things can be true. It's the grief and joy living together, grief and love being, you know, the opposite ends of the coin or opposite sides of the coin that way. Um, you know, we love, um, we grieve because we love, uh, and you know, it's, it just changes the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always curious about that because I find that, you know, there, there's a couple bigger pieces that I grapple with that I hear be echoed in the, in the, in the lost community of, you know, 
my child should be here Mm -hmm. and they're not right Mm -hmm. and then it's like the opposite of that is like you know then there's also these consciences of like oh everything happens for a reason and all these things Mm. (laughs) that are also just horribly unhelpful but um but I also feel like it's like a, the part of me, yes, I, I identify with this feeling of like, I'm supposed to have a baby. I'm supposed to have mm-hmm. like in a next week, I'm supposed to have my baby supposed to be one. You know what I mean? Like his due date was this date and that year, you know, like it's like doing the math. Mm-hmm. But then the spiritual part of me mm-hmm. goes deeper and I'm like but they're not here mm-hmm. and, and it's not falling into that trope or trap or whatever of, you know, the, well, the, the, he wasn't meant to be, but it's like, I also am aware of resistance and like, um, distress in my system happens mm-hmm. when I believe a thought that opposes reality. Mm-hmm. Like the reality of my life. And I will get emotional saying this. It's like, the reality is he's not here Mm -hmm. and me thinking that he should be Mm -hmm. it doesn't help me Mm -hmm. you know me thinking that he shouldn't be here it's not should or shouldn't to me you know and i find that to be a tricky concept Mm -hmm. to to reconcile you know because Mm -hmm. it's like spiritually for mm-hmm. one reason or another that I don't know, he's not though. Right. You know? And so it's like, for me, it's another body of work to yeah. reconcile it all, you yeah. know? Yeah. And how do you reconcile it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, I come from uh, the Christian tradition uh, that way, which is both wildly uh helpful and unhelpful at the same time <laughs> it's the uh, theme it certainly is Def- definitely a both and as well yeah yeah uh and so for me you know there has been um things within and that tradition that have been incredibly painful um gut-wrenching um even harmful. Uh, and at the same time, there has been things that have been incredibly helpful and life-giving um, for me that way. And um, so how do I reconcile that? I'm not even fully sure yet. Mm-hmm. I think it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, like you're saying, it's often, I think it goes into the spiritual journey of things. And, um, and I don't mean that in, you know, um, a a split off kind of way. I mean, that in like a holistic, uh, you know, mind, body, um, and spirit kind of, uh, kind of way, um, that it's full encompassing. Uh, I'm someone that has lived out of my head for so, 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 so long. And my work right now is, you know, 80% living into body, living into spirit, um, and recognizing the center that is there and that exists there. Um, and that is not just existing in the mind. Right. Uh, and so I think it's, it's 
breaking down some of the walls that existed that siloed each of those out for me that is um, how i'm beginning to reconcile it uh, around kind of um, realizing that you know all of these different traumas and experiences and um, just life it happens in all three of these areas not in just any one specific one um, so i don't know if that makes sense joe <laughs> Joelle, it likely doesn't. <laughs> well, what are the different, what are the separations to you? Mm. So I think, you know, from a, a, a mind perspective, I think, you know, I try to uh, be rational about it and logical about it and all of that. And that's where I think a lot of this kind of either or kind of sometimes will sometimes exist, right? Because it gives us, you know, plan A or plan B or, you know, alive or dead. And it's very, can be very finite. Uh, and yet, you know, the more that we, uh, well, one of the things I've learned as I'm getting older <laughs> is um, that there is a lot more gray in the world than there is black and white. Right. And so it's training our mind that way, I think, from a body perspective. And so so from the mind side of things, it involves for me a lot of reading, a lot of listening to podcasts, podcasts like, you know, the House of Mourning uh, and other uh, ones, depending on, you know, the subject that I'm that I'm learning about or integrating. Mm. Um, and yeah, just kind of not looking at one specific subject either. Right. Because mm. when we're talking about grief, we're talking about conflict management around communication around psych psychology and sociology and mm -hmm. like we're talking about human beings which are all encompassing on all of these different levels right mm -hmm. uh, from a body side of things uh, i'm doing a lot more things that just kind of bring me into my body and so whether that is mm -hmm. you know um you know putting stuff along my uh, wrist that i can snap from time to time to remind me to be present um sometimes it is doing yoga or some sort of strenuous activity uh, pushing my body to the limits um, watching what i eat or experiencing you know my body in different ways that way uh, and then from the spiritual side of things it's really around deepening that uh, and i think you know there's various uh, different um spiritual traditions that people come from or can go down um and um i think probably a lot of them end up in the same place which i'm sure i'll get shot for saying but um <laughs> i think you know there's a lot of wisdom to looking at some of these different traditions uh and gleaning what feels right for you within that or what you discern to be right um, within that mm -hmm. uh and so for me that's looked like a lot of centering prayer uh, meditation, maybe even labyrinths from time to time, um, but really just kind of engaging with um, what I would call God or creator um, that way, getting to know myself through him or her and um, just, you know, um, opening my soul to that. Uh, and so it's, yeah, really just uh, a lot of little practices and little um activities if you will um that invite us to be in that present moment whether that present moment is full of joy and wonder um or hardship and pain yeah yeah and what i heard you say you know is becoming a truth seeker mm -hmm. of your own truth 
-hmm. and holistically looking at all aspects of your life yeah and finding what resonates with you right in like and what doesn't and that journey and opening up you know you said opening up i think you said opening up your soul right like Mm -hmm. or something around calling to the soul and and i know not everybody resonates with that however i do for sure Mm-hmm. And that's where I've found a lot of my solace is mm-hmm. from being curious, Yeah, you know, being curious of like, what could be happening here? Mm-hmm. What, like, what, like curiosity, like, why does this happen? Like, why has this happened? Mm-hmm. And not. Like, oh, this is some great thing that's going to come getting into that mentality you were talking about earlier of -hmm. society wanting to put that bow and that silver lining and like wrap it up so they can feel better. Um, But yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing that. And I'm just curious, um, you know, what you would say. And I, I guess it's advice. Okay. You know, what words of wisdom do you have that you can speak into male identifying people or the men listening to this podcast around, you know, people who have lost and going through grief? Like what wisdom do you, can you share with them? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, you're not going to get stuck there. <laughs> uh, I think for a lot of the clients I've worked with, and even for myself, um, is this feeling of if I go down this emotional route and start feeling these feelings, I'm going to get stuck there and I'm never going to recover. And um, yeah, it, that's, I mean, in very, very, very rare cases, yes, that could happen. <laughs> and <laughs> if we allow it, um, it can transform us as well. And I think there is something about, um, you know, refining or forging um, that way. And we're like, you know, we're going to create this new thing and we get all excited about, I'm going to recreate this thing or my life or whatever that is. Uh, And we forget that creation often creates a lot of pain. Um, And leaning into that pain is what helps, you know, um, or can help that way. And so when we do feel that pain, there's this really wise um, Christian mystic, a guy named James Finley, um, who said something along the lines of, and uh, this is, I'm going to totally butcher this quote. And so I'll I'll just say it's a paraphrase uh, of of James Finley's, uh, basically said, you know, we need to learn how to float in the shallow end. So that when we go into the deep end, which is where all the pain and real life things that happen, um, when we go out into the deep end, um, or sorry, the importance of, of floating in the shallow end is that if it is too scary and worrisome or anything like that, we can just stand up and we're going to be fine. But as we float into the deep end where real life is, and we've mm-hmm. learned to float in the, that that shallow end, um, then we already know what floating looks like and we start to realize that floating in the shallow end is the same as floating in the deep end and 
So if we figure out what are your floaties, what are those things that help you to float those, those life preservers or, or vests or whatever it is, you know, maybe that's meditation, maybe that's working out, maybe that is um, food, maybe that is whatever that is for you. Maybe that's just soul searching or meditation. Yeah, anything along those lines. Um, what are those things that kind of give you that peace, that give you that ability to float, to catch your breath, so that if you are swimming in that deep end and you get tired and you feel like you're going to drown, you know, how can you float to regain some of that energy, some of that confidence, some of that wisdom uh, so that you can carry forward? Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And you know what? It's just, it, it just like, uh, I hate not being able to talk to you forever. I just <laughs> wish we could like, this is going to be a two hour podcast, a three hour podcast. <laughs> like, no, I have to wrap up for today. However, what can you tell us about your book and where can we find it? Yeah. So like you mentioned, uh, the book is called Welcome to the Shit Club. Um, it is basically the journey of losing Ezra and the, from the birth of Ezra all the way to a year later uh, and what that journey looked like uh, to the birth of our fourth child. Uh, and yeah, it just goes through what does grief look like, especially in those, the, that immediate first year, um, you know, the importance of community uh, and diving into uh, some of the struggles that non-birthing partners will have around um, pregnancy and infant loss. And I think, you know, there is enough um, in there that regardless of the loss that you experience, um, you know, there's a, something for everyone in there. Um, and it's written specifically uh, from a place of experiencing stillbirth uh, as a male identifying person in this world. Uh, and so you can find it on Amazon. Uh, you should be able to find it everywhere books are, but I have to figure out how to do that yet. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> but uh, the, one of the main places, if you don't know where to go, if you go to jasondyk.com, um, he'll definitely uh, have different links on there to take you to where uh, Welcome to the Shit Club is being sold. Perfect. Yeah. And Amazon is always our best bet. Uh, so by the time this gets aired, it'll be live. And let's follow to, you know, follow Jason's website info to just inspect where to buy it. And where else can we find you or look for you to follow your work? Yeah, probably the best places. Uh, you mentioned uh, I'm on Substack. Uh, the, with uh, the flock there, I think it's jasondyk.substack.com. Uh, if all of that is too confusing, just go to jasondyk.com. Mostly everything is there. Uh, I'm probably most active on Instagram, which you can find me at jasondyk. And pretty much any social media, the handle is usually jasondyk. Uh, and so, yeah, find me there, chat with me, send you know some dms or messages that way uh, and for those of you that uh, want a further conversation um, you can always send me an email uh, to jason at jasondyk.com well you have heard it here thank you so much jason if you want to buy his book it's a very important message to be read and shared 
buy one for any, you know, men that you know that are going through grief and loss or pregnancy and infant loss. Let's get your message out there, Jason. And for our listeners today who are interested in coaching, you can contact Jason as well as he has some courses available for purchase. So Jason, thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for for having me on here and for, you know, being the host with the most. (laughs) Well, it is my honor and I couldn't be more grateful for your time and for your time here. Dear listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the House of Morning. We will catch you hopefully on the next one on the flip side. Bye for now, everyone.